0: Welcome to the podcast. We've got fresh content from some of the brightest minds in the Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto space. With feeds on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram that make it so incredibly easy to keep to the pulse of what's happening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and even hit the share button to send to someone you know who would love to know about this totally free podcast. Huge thanks to our main sponsor, Unocoin, who are not only India's leading crypto assets blockchain company, but also the reason why this podcast is available to you. Completely free of charge. With that said, let's jump into one of the Blockchain Impact Conference talks that took place in Toronto, Canada on December 8th, 2017.
1: Enjoy. Okay, we got a great panel for you, and we're going to wrap it up uh, in great style here. Uh, as, as you heard, uh, I'm Alan Winshaw. I've uh, been in the blockchain community for a while, so we're all seeing these initial coin offerings kind of take off across the world. Um, I do have a token offering in the market today, and I know that a number of uh, other folks do as well, so uh, why don't I just uh, start here and, (laughs) Tone, you want to talk, you want to just tell us, uh, uh, being closest to me right now. Tell us uh, what the advantages are of initial coin offering. So we're going to start there, and you'll get to. We're going to go with every one of us, and I'll can go last. Well, let, me, let me
2: go last on that one. You, you want to go last? I, on I the, need, okay, I mean, I need to think about, about it. I need to think about the advantages first. Okay, so Sarah ben, go for it. One advantage. No, just One. Just
3: do
1: it. We're, we're doing advantages and disadvantages. So you want to pass?
2: Oh, oh, I can talk about disadvantages all day. Honestly, I don't, I I mean, the only advantage to doing an ICO basically is to get a bunch of money early and not having to have anyone looking over your shoulder to actually release a product. Um, it's, uh. Okay, that's good. <laughs> there you go. That's it. Go
1: ahead, sir. Harvey. you want me to stick to the board? You're you're going for yeah. So let's start off with the advantages. So tell us, uh, tell us who you are, what you do, quickly, and the advantages. I'll tell you who I am. Please do. Okay. Just... So my name
0: is Seraphin engel I'm the CEO of Data Wallet, and we're a decentralized data exchange. And so uh, one of the main advantages of ICOs, for me personally, and you know, having built this company in Silicon Valley, is that you don't need to be a member of the Silicon Valley boys. Club. It's a, it's a huge issue for anybody who's trying to raise money, who tried to raise money like three, four years ago. You really need to find your way into the ecosystem. You need to make the right friends. There's this hierarchy of like intros. You know, you need to basically get an intro from somebody who made the VC money. And only at that point in time, it's actually a high fidelity intro. And it takes so much time. The transaction costs are enormous. And it's just a huge you know, barrier to entry. Okay. Thank you. That's a
4: great, great start. Uh, my name's Daniel, I'm a uh, founder of Plugged. Uh, we're uh, an app that launched a few weeks ago and we've tokenized the reward platform. We're still to to make this. We haven't made a decision yet on whether we build an ICO or not. I think the, the biggest advantage is being able to raise money uh, without uh, some of the overbearing term sheets from venture capitalists. Um, that obviously, and, and I'm sure you'll bring this up later, but that obviously also brings a lot of responsibility. Uh, but, but that for me is the, the biggest advantage. My name is Matthew Spoke, I'm the
3: founder and CEO of a company here in Toronto called NUCO, a venture-backed company, so we've gone through kind of the traditional financing process. Uh, Also the founder of our newest project that we just recently launched an ICO for called Aon. Um, I'd say in that context, the biggest advantage of doing a token sale is essentially this, this idea that you can what what used to be two different groups of stakeholders and traditional businesses—your investors and your customers—you can essentially unite into a single group of stakeholders. Your token holders who become the people who support your project and the eventual users of your technology. My name is Sean Blundell. I'm a securities lawyer down at Gowner WLG.
5: Uh, I'd have to say the biggest advantage I see to an ICO is the speed at which uh, you can raise money. Uh, it's one of the fastest moving. Uh, ways of raising capital that I'm sure anybody in the capital markets has ever seen. Um, there's lots of people who are doing it quick. I think that's one of the biggest disadvantages is that you can get to market so fast and you know, we talked about that more later. But uh, if you want to raise money fast right now,
6: I think the ICOs are, uh, are the way to do it. This is Trevor Kiverko from Polymath from the middle of our ICO. Uh, actually, and I think tokens are superior than equity funding. Um, from both an investor and a founder standpoint. As an investor, you get uh, non-dilutive tokens uh, you can't just issue new tokens and get diluted. And you also get liquidity. If you invest in a startup, it could take a decade before you get to cash out. In tokens, you can do it on day one. And as a founder, I'd say the number one benefit is if you do a certain type of token offering, you can raise non-dilutive capital. So you can actually raise money without giving up
3: ownership in your company.
1: So we've, done, we've touched on a number of really good initiatives and uh, advantages and you guys have all taken the initiative to kind of be leaders in this space. Uh, so I I, mean, I would just echo the fact that we've got a global capital market now because of this, uh, this ICO phenomenon and we can move every one of you today and, and a quick show of hands for, for us to know who has actually participated in an ICO so far, amazing. So you've taken here. There's your, somebody from the OSC yeah, here. Too. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, there you go. Right, Canadian citizens, and this, uh, and this capital is moving. It's moving, across borders, and you know, could have ended up in Switzerland. Uh, in the, but it could have ended up anywhere, really, because you're sending it to the blockchain anywhere and anywhere at this everywhere at the same time, right, guys? So instead of uh, going hat in hand to Silicon Valley. What we're doing is we're taking our messages to the public. We're taking our messages to both. Well, in some cases we're limited to accredited cre- investors. In some cases we've uh, we've got the ability to do retail. Uh, so there's there's kind of both uh, kind of responsibilities here. But what you've heard is uh, non dilutive. You've heard quick money. Uh, Let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the other side for uh, a minute now. Tone, you want to get into maybe the disadvantages of ICOs?
2: Well, um, I don't even really know where to start. Uh, it doesn't well. You can always print more tokens, right? So I don't understand how the non dilution works, right? You you're not giving up equity, but you can print infinite amount of tokens. There's nobody stopping you, right? Uh, and if you didn't print enough tokens on one. Like Ethereum, you can now print more tokens on Waves and then uh, Tazos. No, wait, you can't. That one just scammed people. Um, you were supposed to just be able to print uh, more tokens on Tezos. Uh, and uh, there's, I see other problems with it. To me, I don't understand how they're not securities. I never participated in the Ethereum pre sale because to me, they just created a security out of thin air. Uh, they're saying it's not a security, but uh, the Dow said they weren't a VC fund uh, after it got hacked. The, right? The SEC disagreed with them, but it didn't really matter. And uh, when it comes to using your ICO as a token on your platform, uh, again, I don't see how that makes sense. I don't recall Amazon having this idea of charging people in Amazon stock uh, for their products, turning every one of their users into a speculator. Uh, but that seems to be a good idea in this space. No, but I think. You know, you mentioned that earlier, and I think just to
3: contest that, one one of the reasons this industry is getting so much attention is because we're creating liquidity in assets. The reason you don't get Amazon asking people to spend their stock as product cost is because there's no liquidity in the Amazon stock, meaning you couldn't transact in it as efficiently as you could with the token. There's no difference... If you own a you know token X or token Y, the ability to trade between them, transact in one, transact in the other, and go back and forth almost instantaneously, that doesn't exist in the capital markets today, which is why you couldn't do that. But I think to the extent you could incentivize your investors to become your customers and your customers to become your investors if it was efficient, any company would do that. I would also say on the dilution standpoint,
6: you know, I've invested in the equity of a token project and the token of and the equity it gets diluted, you get new shares issued all the time, you have to pro rata to keep the ownership stake. But I know, based on the smart contract that the token is on, that there's a limited supply. And if it is growing, it's it's linear and predictable. And to me, that's one of the reasons all the price action is upwards, is because demand is
4: increasing and supply is staying relatively flat. Can I uh, just want to add to what Matt said. So Tony, so you mentioned uh, Amazon, If I was to go uh, to a developer and buy a a pre-built condo, I put down a deposit of 20% on say a $500,000 condo, it's $100,000, only $20,000 of that is insured. If that project never gets completed, I've lost my deposit. Now, you may argue that people are buying that condo to go and live in, but I would argue that many people that invest in pre-built condos are buying that as an investment with, with, with future profits in mind, at the uh, yeah, at the efforts of others who are building that condo, so I, I don't see a huge difference between pre-built condos and, and ICOs. Um, the only thing touching on your point of uh, of having um, dilution is you know ICOs with no caps. Um, they they cause that problem. You know if I if I go and invest in a condo building and there's a hundred condos, I know I get one of those condos. Um, they can't go and take seven hundred deposits for one hundred. Those. Um, so I think that you know ICOs do need to have caps so people know what they're investing in and, and, and how much they're getting out of it. Uh, just to add to that, I also think it's important not to look at it as a one shot game, right? So I mean if you
0: if you issue more token on different platforms, you're screwing yourself over because the value of the token, which is largely dependent on a discounted expected utility value, goes down dramatically. Nobody trusts your institution anymore. Right? And the other thing that I want to highlight is um, incentives, right? So token holder have an incentive to make a marketplace work that is especially so if you have if you are reliant on network effects right now that may be interesting in the case of amazon granted but a lot of the two-sided marketplaces need to have some sort of incentive structure in the early stages and what did you get for being an early member of twitter you get a cool user name but that doesn't buy you you know okay maybe you can sell somehow in some like you know illegal way but incentives especially network driven um, um, applications is so important and i think that is something that token Tobin's are really the first a medium to address that particular issue.
1: Sean, did you want to jump uh, in? I was just to talk say about disadvantages uh, now or you want to pick up on that?
5: I think one of the biggest disadvantages is lack of disclosure. Uh, is what? Lack of disclosure. Okay. Lack of oversight. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, a bit about uh, it's a security. And, uh, so you've got white papers? I've seen white papers. They don't, they don't necessarily address a lot of the risk factors that are involved. Uh, I think there is a lot of risk involved in ICOs. Um, there's a lot of good projects out there. I think that uh, you know it's, a, it's an excellent way of raising capital in the future. But unfortunately, I think ninety percent of the ICOs, ninety-five percent of the ICOs, will be around in a year, and a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money. Yeah. And I think that um, liquidity factor that people are discussing about it as an advantage, uh, you know, that's that's basically why people are. Getting in ICOs is because it's a good way to make a quick buck. So I don't want to say that it's a uh, you know a terrible uh, way of raising money or that it's a you know it's a a bad invention. I think it's a great invention. I just think that we need to have more oversight uh, and the Securities Commission's are so the so the are to exercise some of that oversight, yep. which is a positive, I think, because it is a legitimate way of raising capital. And the more we can go towards a regulated way of conducting uh, ICOs, I think I think that's a, a benefit for society.
1: Right. So you say, you're commenting on the lack of oversight, uh, but you're also commenting on those that are getting in and looking to make a quick buck, as you said. So you know, is is that a, is that an issue these days? Uh, think, I think.
5: I think I, sure. I
3: okay. Said that, uh, the SEC would reach yeah, into, into, into think, Canada for that. I think where where the regulator should be focusing is on criminal behavior and the, like right. you know, it, the, what's crazy to me is that we're we're talking about investor rules that were defined like decades ago if not a century ago that you know we define investors in the context of capital markets we have this threshold created around what we call accredited investors because they are so-called sophisticated financial investors i bet you the average accredited investor by canadian rules by u.s rules is completely unsophisticated in this topic so what makes them better positioned to make a decision on what cryptocurrency project to invest in when probably the average 16 year old who's taken like a programming course is more sophisticated than the 70 year old who happens
2: to have $10 million. And that's important. I can, uh, I can uh, show you some of my emails actually. I have like 15 year olds asking me for trading advice. Um, somebody just emailed me. Uh, Cause I basically, I talk about the price of Bitcoin on my blog and uh, people are telling me like, you know, they're trading and they've lost so much money trading because there's no barrier to entry. Uh, but, uh, but on the other point somebody just said 95% of these are not going to be with us anymore I think that number is a little low, but uh, let's assume it's only 95% um, Why do you guys think if 95% of ICOs will all crash like in a dot-com bubble? Why is it a good idea for not very rich people to invest in these things if there's a 95% chance? They're gonna lose the money this, okay, so,
1: so let's, put, let's put that on the table because I think I've gone through a year of regulatory uh, machinations and and I've got a regulated security out there in the marketplace today with TokenFunder and we, we agreed that we were going to look after the investor protection side of this. So I guess the question that comes around to how can we, how can we get the access to liquidity, access to the capital, and at the same time, essentially, make sure that you know, everyone that's investing here is, is doing it in a, in a safe way, or at least in a suitable way, because that's, that's where our regulators are coming from today, is like, is it a suitable investment for you? So you're not spending your entire mortgage uh, you know, money on, on an ICO that you really believe in. So who wants to tackle that one? Like, how do we keep our investors safe and still get access to this because you know doing it in Canada we require KYC, but other countries
3: outside don't require that KYC, right? I've, so I've been and, and you know Alan and I are both two people who've been very deeply into the regulatory conversation over the last year or so in Canada. I've been a big advocate for for self-regulatory organizations developing in this industry, which is something that we we're, we're we're starting very actively to do with a number of companies in Canada. Um, there's obviously more responsible behavior and responsible disclosures that need to come from projects. Nobody's suggesting that it's okay that projects go out with loosely defined projects, raise money, poorly spend that money, and then say, oh, sorry, who knew? But you know, the flip side of this is there's, there's a reason this market is interesting and exciting to me, and it's not simply because you know, one out of 100 companies is going to succeed in this industry, because that's true of any startup in any industry for the last 50 years. This is, these are not new statistics what's new now is who's investing and you know Tony brought this point up and obviously it's it's relevant to pay attention to the fact that now you've got people with more to lose putting money on the line but the flip side as you go back to the dot-com bubble where you know everybody makes very direct comparisons the reality back then is that it was a very small group of elitist investors that were entitled to get into the big opportunities that created the 21st century. The Googles of the world were not open opportunities to the average person. They were very, very restricted investment opportunities for a very small group of elite investors, probably American, probably only California-based, and if anyone outside of that, it was a very small list. Average people couldn't get in. Average people, on the other hand, could get in in those days to Enron stock and WorldCom stock, and these were regulated industries and regulated companies with regulated stocks and big failures in the capital markets, and anybody could have bought that stock in a public market. Tony wants in on that. Well,
2: I just just wanna challenge that. I mean, that's cherry picking a company that succeeded and cherry picking the company that failed. Uh, 99% of the time, it's going to be the other way around. Google had 100 competitors, and thinking that you would have picked Google and not one of the other 95 companies that failed, uh, saying that, oh, rich people have Facebook stock. You could have bought Facebook stock after the IPO. Facebook IPO'd at 40 bucks. It was overpriced, it fell to 20 within a month. You could have put it at 20, it's almost 200 right now. Could have made 10 times your money after it IPO'd. But Facebook had competitors like MySpace where the average person here would have had all their money in because MySpace was way bigger and way ahead of Facebook. So there's no way the average person would have picked the right horse or they could have had it in Friendster. Uh, This is why, uh, and, and those VCs, they lose more money for rich people than they make them. It's just a way for that one rich guy sitting at a poker table later on, uh, laughing at his buddy, saying, "Yeah, I was in uh, Airbnb," even though he's not going to tell them they probably lost more money before he made that. Right? That's a, that's an interesting.
1: Trevor, you want to in on this? I think I think we're we're at this at this interesting juncture of you know. Allowing for democratic and allowing everyone to get in on the ground level of these investments, right? And at the same time looking after them and their, and their safeguards and, you know, we live in a country that, that has investor protections. Uh, to me,
6: you have the freedom to be risky, you have the freedom to take, take risky bets and if, if you lose, you know. T- to me, it, the problem is, is education, the problem is greed can't regulate against that people who are buying tokens because they want to get rich and they lose all their money I don't think it's the state's job to intervene I think we should be more concerned about empowering people to make you know prudent financial decisions and investment decisions how to do due diligence how to you know network and and get into deals rather than just you know arbitrarily deciding who should be allowed to speculate with their money and who
4: should not I I agree with that. I I think other than an age restriction, we don't restrict who can go into a casino. Um, If people decide to go in and and gamble money that they don't have to lose and and that's their own decision, uh, we're not in a position to tell people what they can and can't do. Just to add to that, I think
0: one aspect that is worth discussing is actually um, the negative feedback that you sometimes get when you administer an ICO and try to impose any sort of limit on how much people can invest. Uh, so I think that people want to want to be able to invest however much they want, whether it's a good thing or not, right? But I think it's important to, to realize it's not you will fail you will be scrutinized for for trying to mitigate that and for trying to um, trying to self uh, you know be 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 disciplined in it, and it's something where you can lose a lot of goodwill with a lot of people, right? So I do think I would contest that, and I think it is the states and the government's job to impose regulation. That you know, levels the playing field for everybody, and also, you know, disclosure agreements and so on and so forth are really important in order to make sure that you know projects are comparable to people who are looking at different uh, projects where they want to invest their money.
1: I, I happen to agree. I'm a, I'm a CPA, so I happen to agree uh, with the, with the whole disclosure piece. So, uh, you know, we've, we've got white papers out there that are not good disclosure, folks, and terms that are not good for investors. That's, that's me speaking as a moderator, jumping in on this discussion, <laughs> frankly, but uh, we've got, I think uh, Sonny's going to wrap us up, but we are, can, Sean, did you wanna say one more thing from a legal perspective? You look like you did. And...
5: Well, I, I just well, wanna say that uh, I'm really excited for the first uh, ICO that's conducted fully in compliance with, with security as well. Because like I said, I think it's a great way to raise capital. I know that a lot of people who are raising capital via this method are not necessarily fans of the status quo, but uh, eventually someone will do that, and it will be a way to show, uh, no, I know you did it, but a full-blown prospectus offering, I'm you know, saying. You did it by an offering memorandum, which which uh, was great. I like, respect that, exactly. too. Congratulations,
3: very well done. Here's the, the one more comment. Pardon me. This is not an investment yeah. advice panel, yeah. there is, yeah,
1: this is research service, you can go you can
2: vote <laughs> to token funder later. I don't know if the regulator should or shouldn't get involved, I mean that, I, I'm just I'm just trying to like educate the audience And I'm usually an anomaly on these panels because I have no interest in soliciting other people for money. But the majority of people's goal is to get money from as many people as they can for whatever it is that came up into their head that they want to do. And of course, and and, and this is the difference that I ran into, in that you really got to be careful and people have been trying to get your money for as long as history's existed.
1: Matt wants to jump yeah, in. One I, last so we can, we can I think is a, word here.
3: You know, and, and I get the perspective, but this is a brutal oversimplification. This is not a good char- characterization of anybody who's offering a legitimate business that happens to be raising money in a novel way. I find it really interesting that, you know, there, there still is, like it or not, uh, a tension and a competition in this industry of kind of Bitcoin versus the rest. And the libertarians on the Bitcoin world would love to see government intervention in our world. And the irony to me is kind of obvious. Um, I think there are responsible projects raising money. They need to be treated as such. They need to be kept to account. We need to create disclosure requirements. We need to create a regulatory framework. But this is not to say that everybody running an ICO is out to steal your money and make you make you poor. I think you know there's tons of people losing money speculating on Bitcoin, and this is not all that different. Very good, thank you Matt.
6: Don't
0: forget to like, subscribe, and share with a friend you think would appreciate the send. Up next, more talks from past conferences. Thanks for listening.